Section 13 of On Chronic Alcoholic Intoxication with an Inquiry into the Influence of the Abuse of Alcohol as a Predisposing Cause of Disease by William Marset. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Inquiry into the Influence of the Abuse of Alcohol as a Predisposing Cause of Disease. Footnote. See the British and Foreign Medico-Chirurgical Review for April 1862. The object of the present inquiry is to determine, by a series of observations on hospital outpatients, the influence of the abuse of alcohol is a predisposing cause of disease. After having thoroughly considered the subject, I came to the conclusion that the only method of investigation calculated to yield reliable results was to examine, as to their habits of sobriety, all the patients who came under my care at the Westminster Hospital, at the same time making a careful diagnosis of each case. My purpose by adopting this process, being to afford means of establishing the relative proportions of sobers and drinkers, according to the diseases for the relief of which they applied. I thought that, after carrying on these observations during twelve months, a sufficient number of data would be obtained for the object I had in view. Several difficulties offer themselves to this mode of investigation. First, the uncertainty relative to the amount of fermented or distilled liquor taken habitually by the patient, or indulged in for some time on a past occasion. This I overcame by careful examination and cross-questioning hardly ever dismissing a case until I had made out in my mind whether the amount of the patient's libations could possibly in any way, and at any time, have affected his health. If there were doubts as to this, which I could not overcome, I introduced the case with a query before the statement relating to the sobriety. I considered as drinkers certain patients who had assumed habits of perfect sobriety after having, at some time or other, for many months or several years in succession, led an intemperate life. Again, I introduced as drinkers those who were usually drunk once a week, many being the worst for liquor, on Saturday evenings. Also those who, although seldom or ever drunk, took daily or often an amount of alcoholic beverage sufficient to exhilarate much of their spirits and keep them in an habitual state of excitement. And finally, patients who, apparently not affected by drink, took it in so much larger quantity than can possibly be consistent with health, which occurred mostly with the view of getting over certain hard manual labor. Second, the difficulty arising from the utter impossibility of finding time to examine carefully both male and female patients, the latter, moreover, appearing often indignant at any doubts being entertained as to their sobriety, and I was at the outset obliged to give up including women in my series of observations. Third, another difficulty I met with after keeping up for a period of twelve months resulted from the comparatively small number of patients with which I had to conduct my inquiry, this number amounting to 695. And for this reason I found it necessary to avoid entering into many subdivisions, adopting white groups. I experienced also some trouble on account of patients applying for relief several times, at intervals of weeks or months in the course of the year. After some hesitation, I determined on omitting to report every visit subsequent to the first series if the patient was obviously suffering from a relapse of the same disease. But if the patient returned to the hospital to be treated for another complaint, I again entered him in my journal, treating the case altogether as a new one. After carrying on these investigations for some time, I found that individuals under 19 years of age were very seldom guilty of being drinkers. I therefore took no notice of patients under that age. Each page of my notebook was divided into eight columns, in the first, the patients were numbered beginning every day at number one. The second column contained the date of admission. The third, a statement whether the patient applied with a letter constituting him a regular outpatient 
or a ticket for one consultation. The fourth, the age. The fifth, the employment. The sixth, a statement as to whether the patient was a sober man or a drinker. The seventh, the diagnosis. The eighth, headed observations, contained a report of the characteristic symptoms on which the diagnosis was founded. Footnote. The hospital notes referred to in this paper were taken from the 1st of December, 1859 to the 1st of December, 1860. End footnote. I saw the patients regularly twice a week, and I must here acknowledge the kind and valuable assistance I received from my friend Dr. Daples, who kept up the options for me from the middle of August till the latter part of September, while I was out of town. This gentleman, having often kindly assisted me when engaged taking my notes, was well qualified to continue the work during my absence. The tables were drawn up with the greatest possible care. The employments of the patients, from their great variety, had to be condensed into fifteen groups headed coal porter, cabman, stableman, shoemaker, hawker, laborer, mason, sailor, carrier, or carman, carpenter, painter, shopkeeper, engineer, tailor, and porter, or messenger. These included no less than one hundred and twenty-seven different kinds of employment. I grouped together those employments bearing the greatest analogy with each other, and which were carried on under a similar sanitary condition. This implies that indoor employments were in no way with employments carried on in the open air, an important point considering that Dr. Guy has shown the degree of mortality from certain diseases to vary according to the employments being carried on indoors or in the open air. Footnote. See the Journal of the Statistical Society, Volume 7. Third Contribution to the Knowledge of the Influence of Employment Upon Health by Dr. William Augustus Guy. According to the author of this paper, the ratio with deaths from consumption bare to those from all other diseases is higher in the case of men employed within doors than in those working in the open air, being in the one case 1 to 1.98 and in the other 2 to 2.56 or 1 to 1.28. End footnote. I classified the diseases into nine groups, namely, first, alcoholism, second, febrile disorders, third, diseases of the lungs, fourth, poisoning by lead, Fifth, diseases of the stomach and intestines. Sixth, diseases of the skin. Seventh, inflammatory affections of the muscles. Eighth, diseases of the nervous system, non-alcoholic. Ninth, diseases of other organs and tissues, mostly inflammatory. The ninth class of disease includes a number of affections which could not be entered into the other groups. They exhibit, however, this connection, that they are mostly an inflammatory character and attack glands and mucous membranes. It was impossible to divide them into separate groups, as they include 22 diseases and only 54 patients, giving an average of 2.5 patients for every group. The class of diseases of the lungs, being comparatively very extensive, I thought it would be an advantage to consider separately the cases of laryngitis, 16 cases, phthisis, 34 cases, bronchitis, 166 cases, and pneumonia, 33 cases, without, however, removing them from the group of diseases of the lungs. The disorders under the head, poisoning by lead, occurred entirely in men using lead paint. I attempted to enter these cases into other groups, but found it impractical, on account of the combination of nervous and gastric symptoms which attended those affections. I was therefore reluctantly obliged to group these cases separately, their number being, however, too small to yield any special results. I have disposed the information imparted by my hospital notes under the form of the annexed fundamental table which is the groundwork of my inquiries. This table shows at a glance the proportions of sobers and drinkers in connection with the disease and employments. Note from the editor. 
The fundamental table referred to by Dr. Marset is not contained in the original work. End of editor's note. I shall now explain the construction of this fundamental table. The horizontal headings consist of the 15 employments, with every employment is a number, showing how many patients it includes. And under each employment on the left is the letter S for sobers, and on the right is the letter D for drinkers. Between S and D, a question mark is inserted for doubtful. The first employment on the left is that which yields the greatest proportion of drinkers. The second is that which yields the next greatest proportion of drinkers, and so on till the last on the right, which yields the smallest proportion of drinkers, and consequently the largest proportion of sobers. The headings in the vertical column most on the left consist of the titles of the nine different groups of diseases, beginning with that group containing the greatest proportion of drinkers, proceeding downwards with that containing the next greatest proportion of drinkers, and so on, the last group including the least proportion of drinkers, and consequently the greatest proportion of sobers, with the title of each group of diseases is a number, showing how many patients belong to it. Opposite the title of each group of diseases, a bracket has been placed, within which are inscribed the names of the diseases which form the group, and with every disease there is a figure corresponding to the number of individuals who have been affected by it. The table is divided into other vertical columns. Each column is headed by an employment, and exhibits the numbers of sobers and drinkers in that employment. These numbers are, of course, also placed horizontally, opposite the group of disease to which the patients they represent belong. The last vertical column but one on the right indicates the total number of sobers and drinkers for each group of diseases. And the last column on the right shows the whole proportion of sobers and drinkers for each group of diseases. Finally, at the bottom of the table, there are two horizontal lines. The first showing the total number of sobers and drinkers per employment, and the second showing the proportion of sobers and drinkers in each employment. Having proceeded so far, extracted from the table the numbers showing the proportions of sobers and drinkers in every employment, and place them in tabular form. See page 156, beginning with those employments containing most drinkers, and ending with those containing the least. These 15 proportions showed the relative drinking tendencies of each employment. By the side of every employment, I place a symbol of the simple multipliers, beginning by 1 and proceeding seriatim up to 15. These figures, therefore, may be considered as indices of drinking tendencies. Thus, coal porters, index 1, exhibit the greatest proportion of drinkers, since for every one sober there are no less than 2.2 drinkers. Cabman, index 2, includes the next greatest proportion of drinkers, for every one sober there being 1.5 drinkers, and so on up to the porters, index 15, whose tendency to drinking is the least, there being 3.1 sobers for one drinker. Table showing the proportion of sobers and drinkers according to employment, extracted from the preceding table. Reader's note. The table has seven columns. The first column heading is Indice of Drinking Tendencies. Second column heading Employments. Third column heading Total Number. Fourth column heading Sobers. Fifth column heading Drinkers. Sixth column heading Doubtful. And seventh column heading Portion of Sobers to Drinkers. End of reader's note. The data being arranged as described above furnished materials for my inquiries. Influence of alcohol is a general predisposing cause of disease. On glancing over the fundamental table, page 154, the construction of which I have attempted to explain, the inquirer's attention at once will be arrested by the first group of diseases, alcoholism. First group, alcoholism. Every patient suffering from chronic alcoholism or delirium tremens is a drinker. Indeed, in the 16 cases of this affection, 
Alcohol is not a predisposing cause, but the exciting cause of illness. It is, consequently, hardly fair to take these cases into consideration for the purpose of determining the general action of alcohol as a predisposing cause of disease. Yet I have thought it better to preserve them, as their being overlooked might appear a serious omission, and their number is so few that it can have no material influence on in the general researches. Should a question arise as to which employment is most subject to alcoholism, it would be natural to anticipate that coal porters would be particularly liable to these affections. This employment possessing the greatest proportion of drinkers, such is not, however, the case, and this interesting fact is well worth recording. We find the greatest proportion of cases of alcoholism among the shopkeepers, for there is one out of every 11.3 shopkeepers suffering from alcoholism, while there is only one out of every 17 coal porters who had contracted this illness. Now we find that shopkeepers are much more sober than coal porters, for the degree of sobriety of shopkeepers is represented by number 12, while that of the coal porters is represented by number 1. The reason of this curious phenomenon is obviously that shopkeepers drink, taking but little exercise, being occupied indoors and in unhealthy districts and dwellings. Thus their standard of health is lowered, which prevents them from resisting the baneful action of alcoholic excesses, and at the same time their respiration being deficient, they are unable to rid themselves by this means of the alcohol absorbed. Thirty-one different employments have been classed under the head shopkeeper. Of these, commercial travelers and interpreters are perhaps the only two entertaining exercise. Second group, febrile disorders, include the greatest proportion of drinkers compared to sobers irrespective of their employments, this proportion being one drinker to 1.08 sobers. The proportion of drinkers to sobers taken collectively in all other diseases is one drinker to 1.55 sobers, so that the proportion of drinkers to sobers attacked with febrile affection is considerably greater than the corresponding proportion for all other diseases. This predisposition of drinkers becomes more obvious by comparing the proportion of sobers to drinkers in the groups of disease under our present consideration with the corresponding proportion for the last group in the table, the latter including no less than three times and a half more sobers than drinkers. It follows that, when living in a district where these affections are endemic, it is of great importance to lead a perfectly sober life. It may also be concluded that after having once contracted ague, rules of strict sobriety are among the most useful precautions to adopt in order to prevent a return of the illness. The influence of the abuse of alcohol as a predisposing cause to febrile diseases probably results from its interfering with the healthy process of nutrition and lessening the general standard of health a morbid poison exerting thereby the more readily its baneful action. Third group, diseases of the lungs. The next group of diseases consists of all affections of the air passages and includes one drinker for every 1.29 sobers. This proportion of drinkers is therefore nearly as great as in the preceding group. The interest in the present instance is enhanced by the fact that there are as many 268 patients suffering from pulmonary diseases, the great number increasing the degree of correctness of the results. This confirms the received opinion that, in comparison with other diseases, drinkers are much more predisposed to affections of the respiratory organs and sobers. It shows, moreover, that in no other disease, except in fever and ague, is the predisposition of drinkers, compared to that of sobers, so great as in the diseases of the air passages. This fact may be satisfactorily explained, for the lungs of drinkers being a medium through which alcoholic vapors pass on their way out of the body. It is but very natural to infer that the constant state of irritation is kept up in these organs, 
which, under the slightest exciting cause, becomes a condition of disease. Indeed, admitting this explanation, alcohol might be considered in itself as an exciting cause of pulmonary affections. I have divided the group diseases of the lungs into five classes. The first class is laryngitis, including every case of evident inflammation or irritation of the larynx, which had not extended to the bronchial tubes, as determined by osculation and percussion. The result from my inquiry, which applies to this disease, is perhaps the most interesting of all. The number of drinkers affected with laryngitis is larger than the number of sobers, there being 1.67 drinkers for every sober. In no other disease or group of diseases throughout the whole table is the proportion, and consequently the predisposition of drinkers so great as in that under our present consideration. Why is this? Obviously, because the larynx is exposed to the irritating action of the alcohol which is swallowed from its coming in contact with the epiglottis and glottis, and because, moreover, the alcoholic vapors coming from the lung and passing through the larynx contribute to establish and keep up this morbid condition. Pneumonia is the fifth class of diseases of the lungs. Drinkers are, comparatively to sobers, less predisposed to it than other classes of the same group, there being one drinker suffering from pneumonia for every 1.82 sobers. This may be accounted for if it be admitted that pneumonia is not, strictly speaking, an inflammatory disease, but the result of a special morbid action in regard to the development of which alcohol would play but a secondary part. Footnote. I shall not take into consideration the fourth group, poisoning by lead, the number of patients it includes being too small. End footnote. Fifth group, diseases of the stomach and intestines. If we compare the proportion of drinkers to sobers, in the present case, one drinker to 1.56 sober, to the corresponding proportion of drinkers to sobers for all other diseases taken collectively, one drinker to 53 sobers, we shall not find that there exists a greater predisposition from the abuse of alcohol to gastric and intestinal infections. But if we establish this comparison with other groups of diseases taken individually, we shall observe that, although the degree of predisposition from alcohol to diseases of the stomach and intestine is less than other febrile disorders or pulmonary affections, yet it is greater than in the diseases of the skin, gout and rheumatism, diseases of the nervous system, non-alcoholic, and diseases of the other internal organs and tissues, last group. The group, diseases of the stomach and intestines, is divided into two classes, and by this means I am enabled to point out a very remarkable fact, namely, that gastritis, condition of general inflammation or irritation of the stomach, with the accompanying modifications of the normal functions of this organ, is much more liable to be brought on by drink than disorders of the intestines properly so called. Drinkers suffer from gastritis in the proportion of 1 to 1.13 sobers, while drinkers are affected by intestinal disorders in the proportion of 1 to 2.55 sobers, so that the proportion of drinkers to sobers in the case of gastritis is twice as great as the corresponding proportion for the disorders of the intestines. And if we compare the predisposition from alcoholic excesses to inflammatory affections of the stomach with the corresponding predisposition to all other diseases taken collectively, we shall find the predisposition to the former, one drinker to 1.13 sobers, much greater than the predisposition to the latter, one drinker to 1.57 sobers. This excessive liability to gastritis from the abuse of alcohol appears to me to result from the quantity of alcohol which passes into the duodenum being less and weaker than that which is admitted into the stomach, partly on account of the absorption which has taken place in this organ, partly from the alcohol being diluted in the intestines by the intestinal secretions, 
and possibly also from alcohol undergoing some chemical transformation in the bowels. Sixth group, diseases of the skin. I have but little to say with respect to cutaneous affections. Drinkers are often affected, comparatively to sobers, much in the same proportion as in the case of diseases of the stomach and intestines. In cutaneous affections, as in the case of fevers, it is admitted that the exciting cause of disease depends on the action of a poison present in the system. In some instances we can trace this poison to contagion, in others to hereditary causes. The higher the general standard of health, the greater the power of the body to resisting this morbid tendency, the influence of the poison being thereby kept in abeyance. Any circumstance lowering the healthy condition of the body will thereby expose it to suffer from cutaneous affections under the influence of an exciting cause. Alcoholic excesses are undeniably among the most powerful depressing agents, and, on this account, predispose to diseases of the skin. In addition to this mode of explaining the influence of alcoholic excesses as predisposing cause of cutaneous affections, it might be surmised from the experiments of Messrs. Lelemond, Perrin, and Duroy, footnote, these gentlemen have obtained positive evidence of a small proportion of the alcohol taken in the stomach being eliminated from the body through the skin. The experiment which illustrates this interesting phenomena was exhibited to the Society of Arts by Dr. Edward Smith, and footnote, that the passage of alcohol through the skin on its way out of the body, by increasing the vascular state of the tissue, predisposes it to suffer from inflammation. Seventh group, gout and rheumatism. The interest of the inquiry in this case is increased by the large number of patients affected, which is 151. We observe that for every drinker there are 1.74 sobers, who apply to be treated for disorders of this group. The predisposition from alcohol to gout and rheumatism is consequently a little less than the corresponding predisposition to all other diseases taken collectively, one drinker to 1.47 sobers. But on the other hand, I consider the following conclusion as more important. Drinkers are, comparatively to sobers, less predisposed to gout and rheumatism than to fever and ague, diseases of the lungs, gastric, and intestinal disorders and cutaneous affections. And drinkers comparatively to sobers are more predisposed to gout and rheumatism, one drinker to 1.74 sobers, than to diseases of the nervous system, non-alcoholic, one drinker to 2.67 sobers. And in all their diseases of the internal organs and tissues, one drinker to 3.5 sobers. Eighth group, diseases of the nervous system, non-alcoholic. I have taken care to exclude from this group every case of alcoholism. For these, all those instances of nervous affections are produced by alcohol acting as an exciting cause, and grouping them with the diseases of the nervous system would obviously lead to erroneous results as to the influence of alcohol's predisposing cause to this group of disorders. We observe that the predisposition from alcohol to nervous affections, one drinker to 2.67 sobers, is decidedly less than to all other diseases taken collectively, one drinker to 1.44 sobers, on the other hand, if we compare the predisposition from alcohol to nervous affections with the corresponding predisposition to all other diseases considered individually, we find that, with the exception of one group, the influence of alcohol as predisposing to nervous affections is the least of all. The result is remarkable. It might have been anticipated that alcohol acted as a strong predisposing cause of disease of the nervous system, for it is a well-known fact that the nervous centers have the power, to a certain extent, of condensing within their tissue the alcohol which has been absorbed into the blood and consequently it appear but natural that alcohol interfering with the healthy nutrition of these important organs 
the nervous system would become thereby more liable to any non-alcoholic disease. According to my inquiries, however, this is not the case. Magnus Huss, the leading authority on alcoholism, believes, as I have already stated, that nervous temperaments are more capable of resisting the long-continued abuse of alcohol than sanguine temperaments. Might there not be some connection between this and the fact that alcohol predisposes, but very slightly to, the non-alcoholic, diseases of the nervous system? Ninth group, diseases of the other internal organs and tissues, mostly inflammatory. These affections form the last group. They include all the cases which could not be entered in any of the other groups. Still, they are not altogether without connection with each other. I have attempted to indicate this connection by the wording, most inflammatory. Diseases of the mucous membrane, exclusive of those of the stomach and intestines, are prominent in this group. It appears from the present inquiry that alcohol predisposes but very slightly to these affections. One drinker to 3.5 sobers. Both when compared to the predisposition from alcohol to all other diseases collectively, one drinker to 1.44 sobers, and to the predisposition from alcohol to all other diseases taken individually. Indeed, the influence of alcohol as predisposing to this last group of disease is the least of all. It might be observed, however, that the diseases of the liver and kidneys are well known to be frequently the result of long-continued hard drinking. This is not borne out by the present inquiry, because a small number of these cases which figures in the table precludes the possibility of drawing any inference as to the special degree of predisposition alcohol exerts respecting them. My conclusions with reference to each group must be taken in a general point of view, without entering into the details except where I have divided groups into classes. On inquiring into the number of patients which constitutes each group, it will be observed that diseases of the lungs and inflammatory affections of the muscles, namely gout and rheumatism, include the greatest. I shall now attempt to show the comparative influence of alcohol as predisposing employments to these two groups of diseases. Each group will be considered separately. The other groups do not include a sufficient number of patients to allow of the relative predisposition per employment due to the influence of alcohol being established. On the influence of the abuse of alcohol as predisposing employments and individuals per employments to diseases of the lungs. Rather than give a general outline of the method employed for conducting this inquiry, I shall consider at once the diseases of the lungs, illustrating with respect to this group the arguments and operations which will likewise be adopted when treating of the influence of alcohol as predisposing employments and individuals per employments to gout and rheumatism. The influence of alcohol as predisposing each employment to diseases of the lungs must be examined under two heads. Table A below and Table B, page 170. First, the influence of alcohol as predisposing each employment taken as a whole to diseases of the lungs. Second, the influence of alcohol as predisposing drinkers compared to sobers in each employment to pulmonary affections. Table A, diseases of the lungs, predisposition of employments to diseases of the lungs according to their drinking tendency. Table A, under the first head, is formed by placing in a vertical column the 15 employments, following each other from top to bottom, seriatim, according to their degree of predisposition to diseases of the lungs. This degree of predisposition is shown by the proportions placed opposite each employment on the right, which exhibit for the corresponding employment the relation existing between the number of cases of pulmonary disease and all other affections. By the side of every employment in this table, and on the left, is inscribed the index of drinking tendency of that employment. Now, it is obvious that if the employments in Table A 
followed each other in the same order as in the table, page 156, which shows the drinking tendencies of each employment. The degree of intemperance of any employment would exhibit its predisposition to diseases of the lungs, for the greater its habits of drinking, irrespective of every other circumstance. The greater would be its liability to pulmonary affections and vice versa. Of course, it can hardly be anticipated that this is likely to take place, for we know how many other causes besides excess in alcohol predispose to diseases of the lungs. Considering the employments one by one, we find no connection between their predisposition to the group of diseases under consideration and their drinking tendencies. Neither do we find any such connection when the employments are considered three by three. Taken five by five, we detect, however, some kind of relation between the drinking tendencies and predisposition to diseases of the lungs. And when dividing the whole employments into two groups only, this connection becomes undeniable. The degree of relation in question is established by inquiring into the indices of drinking tendencies affixed to each employment in Table A. Adding them three by three, five groups, or five by five, three groups, or seven and a half by seven and a half, two groups, and then examining whether or not these sums increase from top to bottom. On considering the indices five by five, there is partly an increase, inasmuch as the first sum is thirty-two, the second fifty, and the third thirty-eight. Here the increase exists only between the first two groups. But when considered under two groups, then the increase is obvious, the sum of the drinking indices of the first group being 47.5, and that in second 72.5. This establishes a slight connection between the predisposition of employments to disease of the lungs and their drinking tendencies. It is important to observe that this table gives but a very general idea of the influence of alcohol's predisposing cause, per employment, to diseases of the lungs, for the following reason. Supposing we consider an employment containing but very few drinkers, or, in other words, of very sober habits, such as shopkeepers, index 12, it is perfectly obvious that alcohol can exert but a very small influence as predisposing that trade as a whole to pulmonary diseases. Still drinking shopkeepers individually are found to be highly predisposed to suffer from those affections. Or, in other words, the fact that alcohol predisposes but slightly shopkeepers to disease of the lungs, resulting from there being very few drinking shopkeepers, and not from drinking shopkeepers being but little liable to these affections. From this consideration, I have found it necessary to introduce a second table, B, consisting of two series of proportions juxtaposed. The first series showing the proportion of sobers and drinkers in diseases of the lungs, and the second series showing the proportions of sobers and drinkers in all other diseases. On examining together these two proportions for each employment, and calculating the relation that existed between them, the result showed the actual comparative predisposition of the drinkers of each employment to diseases of the lungs. This relation is very striking in shopkeepers, number one. For every drinking shopkeeper suffering from a pulmonary affection, there are 1.37 sobers affected in a similar way, while for every drinking shopkeeper applying to be treated for all other diseases, there are no less than 7.20 sobers. The relation being 7.2 and 1.37 is 5.25, therefore 5.25 represents the influence of alcohols predisposing drinking shopkeepers to diseases of the lungs. Preceding downwards with the table B, we have engineers, coal porters, sailors, and finally hawkers and painters. Drinkers belonging to these last two employments are least of all, compared to sobers in the same employment, predisposed to disease of the lungs. Table B, disease of the lungs, predisposition of drinkers per employment to diseases of the lungs. 
Why are drinking shopkeepers so much more predisposed to pulmonary affections than sober shopkeepers? Probably for the same reason they are so very liable to alcoholism. Page 157. Moreover, the respiration being deficient, the alcohol absorbed remains longer in the body, and its irritating action while circulating through the delicate and morbidly predisposed pulmonary capillaries is consequently prolonged. It will be observed that drinking engineers, mostly engine drivers and engine inspectors, are also much more subject to suffer from affections of the lungs and air passages than sober engineers, although not in so large a ratio as shopkeepers. This may be considered as resulting from the depressive influence of alcohol, united to the fatigue from working in confined and very hot engine rooms, and sudden changes of temperature, which these men are so much exposed to. In addition to these circumstances, the respiration of mephitic gases from the furnaces and coal dust assists in accounting for the lungs being readily affected when they are predisposed to disease by the circulation of alcohol through their tissue. The last employment but one in the table is hawker. Drinking hawkers are, with one exception, the least of all, compared to sober hawkers, subject to disease of the lungs. This index of predisposition of drinking shopkeepers to disease of the lungs being 5.25, and that of drinking hawkers, 0 0.69, see table B. This result is perfectly in accordance with what might have been anticipated. The influence of shopkeepers and hawkers are in every respect widely different from each other. Shopkeepers lead a sedentary indoor life, taking very little exercise. Hawkers are constantly moving about in the open air, many of them wheeling or carrying heavy loads. The respiratory functions of shopkeepers must become more or less impaired from the mode of life they lead. In the case of hawkers, on the contrary, the action of the lungs is developed to its utmost, owing to exercise in the open air, and more especially to the cries, which are the principal feature of their trade. At each inspiration, nearly as much air is admitted into the lungs as they are capable of containing in the fullest state of expansion. And it is a natural consequence of this excessive respiratory action that any alcohol present in the blood will be very rapidly expired, so that the poison does not remain in the system long enough to injure the pulmonary organs. Moreover, the constant excessive action of the open air on the lungs of the hawkers would, it may be presumed, give tone to these parts, so that they become possessed of the power of resisting a great extent the baneful action of alcohol circulating within their capillaries, and on its way outwards through the membrane of the air cells. I shall not proceed any further with these remarks. My purpose at present is more especially to establish facts as far as a numerical method will allow and let the reader account for the results as he thinks best. On the influence of alcohols predisposing employments and individuals per employments to gout and rheumatism. 1. The influence of alcohols predisposing each employment, taken as a whole, to gout and rheumatism, is shown by Table A, page 173, for this group of affections. The predisposing power of alcohol in the present instance is very evident, and much more distinctly marked than in the case of pulmonary affections. If the whole 15 employments be divided into as many as five groups, we find an undeniable relation between the drinking tendencies of these five groups and the predisposition to gout and rheumatism. For with one slight exception, the sum of the indices for each group increase gradually, proceeding from the top to the bottom of the column, these sums being 19, 18, 20, 30, and 33. When the 15 employments are divided into the three groups, the sums of the indices will be 28, 41, 51 in which case the difference between the sums of the indices will be sufficiently great to prove beyond doubt that employments are predisposed to gout and rheumatism, and according to their drinking tendencies within those limits. I need not allude to the division of the employments into two groups only. 
The sums of the indices, in this case, 48 and 72, have, however, been entered into Table A. Table A. Gout and Rheumatism. Predisposition of employments to gout and rheumatism according to their drinking tendency. 2. The influence of alcohol as predisposing drinkers compared to sobers for employments to gout and rheumatism is evidenced by an inspection of Table B for this group of diseases. Table B. Gout and rheumatism. Predisposition of drinkers per employment to gout and rheumatism. The result in this case is very different from that derived from Table B, page 170, for diseases of the lungs. With respect to gout and rheumatism, the table under our present consideration shows that drinkers in every employment, compared with each other, are much more equally predisposed to gout and rheumatism than other diseases of the lungs. Or, in other words, the nature of an employment has less influence in modifying the predisposition of drinkers, compared to sobers, to gout and rheumatism, than in the case of pulmonary infections. This conclusion is derived from the slight difference between the numbers of Table B, page 174, in the column headed Indices of Predisposition. The first index for hawkers is 1.52. The last cold porters is 0.21 footnote. The last in the column are the painters, but the number of rheumatism and gouty patients is too small to take them into account on this occasion. End footnote. The corresponding numbers for diseases of the lungs were 5.25 for shopkeepers and 0.56 for painters. This result is perfectly in accordance with that derived from Table A for gout and rheumatism. For a moment's reflection will show that unless drinkers in all employments were, to a certain extent, equally predisposed to the group of affections under our present consideration, it would not be possible that the employments three by three should be predisposed to these disorders proportionally to their drinking tendency. I shall not attempt to proceed any further with this inquiry, lest I should enter into such minute details as are inconsistent with the accuracy of the numerical method of investigation I have adopted. I trust the researches and conclusions which form the subject of the present inquiry may be of interest and practical utility. At all events, I feel assured there are few questions so important in medical and social point of view as the influence of the abuse of alcohol as predisposing cause of disease. Appendix. The author begs to observe that the statements contained at page 59 and 77 of the present treaty respecting the property of alcohol, tea, and coffee of diminishing the waste of the body are derived from the researches of Prout, footnote, Thompson's Annals of Physiology, Volume 2, and footnote. Dr. Fife, footnote, see a paper by Prout in Thompson's Annals of Physiology, Volume 4, and footnote. Vierdort, footnote, Physiology des Athmens, and footnote. Brooker, footnote, British and Foreign Medico-Chirurgical Review, Volume 14, 1854, and footnote, and Lehman, footnote, see the account of Brooker's researches in the last-mentioned periodical, and footnote. Prout, Dr. Five, Vierdor, and Broker have found that alcohol, when taken, diminishes the amount of carbonic acid expired. Moreover, Broker informs us that the excretion of urea is lessened by alcohol, and tea, tea likewise reduced in the quantity of carbonic acid evolved. According to Lehman's inquiries, the use of coffee also lessens the amount of carbonic acid expired. The results obtained by Dr. Edward Smith, footnote, Proceedings of the Royal Society, 1859, volume 9, page 638, and footnote, from recent and very interesting investigations on the action of food upon respiration, agree but partly with the above-mentioned conclusions. This gentleman found that spirits of wine, ale, stout, increased the quantity of carbonic acid expired, rum commonly increased it, and sherry wine exerted, to a slight extent, a similar action. The amount of carbonic acid evolved, when brandy and gin were taken, was constantly diminished. Whiskey varied in its effects. 
The inhalation of the volatile elements of wine and spirits lessened the evolution of this gas. Dr. E. Smith also observed that tea and coffee increase the production of carbonic acid, tea being more powerful than coffee. End of section 13. Recording by Kurt Walton. End of On Chronic Alcoholic Intoxication with an Inquiry into the Influence of the Abuse of Alcohol as a Predisposing Cause of Disease by William Marset.